Again, I invite you to turn with me, Mark chapter 7. In verse 24, we are to kind of catch you up if you've been kind of hit or miss or just kind of jumped on board with us over the past few weeks to kind of catch you up. Mark is moving quickly, as I was just saying earlier. Mark is moving quickly, getting us to help us see who, and he's really the question of this series and of this book is, who is Jesus? We're going to culminate that with a grand statement of Peter in chapter 8. We're almost to it. It's the crux of this book. It's kind of right in the center of it, um, of this, this wonderful text and this wonderful gospel of Mark. But in this book, Mark is trying to help us see who is this Jesus. And over the past several weeks, we've seen Jesus do an incredible amount of things in just a short amount of time. Jesus out in the wilderness, he's trying to get rest for his disciples and and be out in the wilderness. But then the crowds quickly, they find out exactly where they're going. And here comes the crowds. The crowds gather and they're observing and they want to be close to Jesus. They want to hear what he has to say. They want to offer the sick people to him. They want to see him heal and raise the dead and give sight to the blind and all these amazing things. But also more than that, I believe, and many theologians and other, other pastors and others uh, see it this way, is the wilderness is also where they're coming and they're trying to make him, as Matthew tells us, they're trying to get him to become king, force him into that role to overthrow Rome. They don't understand his mission at all yet. Actually, no one really does. But yet what we're going to see is this amazing faith of this Gentile, this outsider, this unclean woman. We saw where Jesus was proclaiming himself to be the bread of life. And I, he looked at the crowd with compassion and said, he looks at him and says, I see them as sheep without a shepherd. And so he longs to help them. And so he stays out there and, and loves them and teaches them and calls them. And then he actually, as we learn more in Matthew, he says, I'm the bread of life. You think you need bread and that's going to fulfill you. It won't. It's not going to last. You need me, the source of life. And he's claiming himself to be God. He's making these bold claims. And then sure enough, he goes and the disciples, even after this fact, he goes and the disciples go on a boat and they're going across the sea. And they're painstakingly suffering, trying to go against this headwind. And they can't get across. They're stuck for hours and hours, just rowing, working as hard as they can. And here comes Jesus walking on water. This, who is he? How, is he, how can he possibly walk on water? And what is he doing by passing by them? He was, as we talked about, he's revealing himself. He's revealing his identity to them. And yet they still aren't quite seeing it. And then last week, as we j- jumped into chapter 7, what we saw is the, the problem of all people. We're unclean. You see, the problem is it's not the things that make us unclean around us. It's that we are what makes us unclean. It's a heart. Our heart is what's unclean. And then now we're going to come and see now not only are our hearts unclean, but we're going to see a story of a woman who is unclean and a daughter who has an unclean spirit. And so as we've set the scene for what's about to transpire, we see Jesus again in verse 24. And from there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. You see, this is outside of Israel. This is, if you may or may not know this, but this is the only time that we know of Jesus leaving Israel in his public ministry. All of his ministry was within Israel. He's in the area of Galilee and the surrounding areas. It is to the Jews. 
And this here, maybe it's for respite, as it tells us, he goes and says, And from here he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. So here he's going, maybe trying to get rest with his disciples. They're getting outside of Israel. Maybe he wanted some alone time with the disciples for further teaching for them. And getting away from the crowds, maybe it's like, okay, the crowds are getting too big, and this is, it's not yet my time. The time is not quite fulfilled yet. It's not time for me to go to the cross. And yet here he journeys outside of Israel. He's in Gentile territory, pagan territory, people who do not believe in the one true God, Yahweh. And so here he is entering a house, and he didn't want anyone to know, yet he could not, it tells us, be hidden. But, there's our word again, Mark, but immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him. Question, how does she know who Jesus is? She is a Gentile woman. She is an outsider. We find out she's a Syrophoenician. She's a, Matthew gives us the detail of she's a Canaanite woman. And these were brutally against the Israelites. They were arch enemies. They were at odds with each other. They were a brutal people. There is a lot to be said about the brutality of this people, and they were brutal against Israel. This is an outsider. This is a pagan. This is not a God-fearing people. But yet, she has heard about this Jesus. She is going to find him. Sure enough, she does find him. She finds him in this house and tells us, now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now, I want you to see something about this, the remarkable faith of this Gentile woman. First, I want you to see this woman's unashamed boldness. Notice the boldness of this woman. She is after Jesus. Now, though, I will say, if, as I've heard before as well, and as, if you're a parent, you kind of realize these things. As, I mean, there's certain levels of you don't care what people think when you're going to deal with something, right? Like, you might love your friends a lot, and you might would do anything to help them. That's, that's, an, that's a great friend, and it's a good friend to have. Someone who's willing to, to help you and to, to get what you need and those kind of things. But there's nothing like a parent, a loving parent, who is going to be so desperate as I'm going to do whatever it takes. If my child is falling, about to fall off a cliff or get into harm's way, the parent is going to just jump into action, like disregard for themselves. They're going to do whatever they can. Well, this woman is, that, is in that mood. <laughs> she is in that way in her heart. She is going to do whatever she possibly can to help her daughter who has been stricken by this unclean spirit. She has a demon inside of her daughter, and she doesn't know what else to do. It reminds us of several people we've already seen in this journey through Mark. We see the desperate faith and the desperation of the woman who had the blood disorder for 12 years, and her. she's tried, and she spent all of her money, and she's tried all these doctors, she's tried all these things, and nothing would work, and she tried everything, and she was desperate, maybe even hopeless at this point, but then she had heard about Jesus, and she was willing to go and find him. Maybe even if I just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed, and sure enough, she was. Maybe the word spread out from that. 
Maybe someone traveling through Jerusalem heard the stories about Jesus and the word began to spread even outside of Israel. But this woman found out and what we see is her unashamed boldness. And this is, this is extremely bold. So remember, Jesus is considered a rabbi. He's a teacher. He would be considered unclean. Like, listen, Jews, when they would leave, they considered the shadow of a Gentile on them as making them unclean. Like, I am unclean by your shadow. Like, you go into Gentile territory, you need to come back and clean yourself before you can enter into the temple or enter into the synagogue. I mean, you, you were considered filthy. These were an unclean, considered unclean people. And here Jesus is heading into Gentile territory. Here is not only is she a Gentile, she's also a woman. No rabbi would have let this woman even near her except this one, Jesus. You see, she's so unashamed. She is so bold. What does she do? It tells us here. She falls down at his feet. The way this is described is literally getting prostrate right in front of him, like full on right in front of him. And what does she do? And she's begging. She's pleading with Jesus to heal his or her daughter. In Matthew 14, we get a little bit more uh, detail on this, this, or, uh, on this story. I think I might have said Matthew wrong. Okay, I'm not seeing it right away. But in, in there, what we see is she's pleading, with, she's pleading with Jesus. She's begging. But you know what the disciples wanted? The disciples are like, get her to go away. She's annoying us because she probably wasn't stopping and she was making a scene. She was making a raucous through her screams, maybe her yelling. And the disciples are like, can someone get her out of here? Why would the disciples say that? She's unclean. She's a Gentile. She's outside of the people of Israel. She is going to make our rabbi unclean. She needs to be gone. She doesn't care. She doesn't care what people think. She is a, has a disregard for, you know, if I, I play golf, and, and there's some people, there's golf etiquette, you know? There's like, you've got you to gotta have your tuck shirt in. You've got to wear certain shoes. You don't walk in someone's line. I'm still trying to teach Levi these things. You know, in the middle of your backswing, you're not really supposed to talk. If you know Levi, he's a little bit of a talker. Like, every time, I hear David, like, laughing. As soon as I'm, like, about to hit the ball, and here's Levi saying something. Hey, hey Dad! <laughs> you're like, there's, there's etiquette here, son. This is... It's a gentleman's game, you know, as, as they say. You know, the, like, this woman is like, there's no etiquette. There's, there's no like, okay, would you please, sir, rabbi, I, I know I'm not supposed to be here. Maybe from a distance, rabbi, Jesus, would you, would you be so willing? No, she doesn't care about those things. She cares about her daughter. Her daughter needs help. She's desperate and she's bold and she goes and she proclaims, will you come? Will you heal my daughter? She begged him, it tells us in verse 26. And interestingly, we get a weird, better word, strange, what we'd think is like uncouth, like you shouldn't be saying these kind of things, Jesus. Like, Jesus, this is inappropriate of you. Why would you say something like this? And you might be like, well, I didn't catch what was said. Well, let me read it again to you. She's begging, she's pleading. She, what we're going to find out, she is identifying who Jesus is, and yet here she is pleading. The disciples are like, get rid of this woman, get her to go away. 
And Jesus said to her, strangely, he says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Makes your eyebrows go up. I can't make one eyebrow go up. Some people can, I can't. But makes that one eyebrow go up like, huh, Jesus, what's happening here? Did you just call that woman a dog? I don't know if there's a rule in in marriage, but that's one thing you don't call your spouse. (laughs) You dog, right? You would never think that Jesus would actually make a statement like this. Why would he, is this this unruly? Is this inappropriate? Is this wrong? Like what is, why would Jesus say something like this? But here's what we have to understand about this. There's been a lot of takes on this statement. Some point out the point that, and it's true, because in this culture, you know, how many of you have a dog? Anybody have a cat? Anybody have a cat? You know, cats. You're like, no cats. Okay, good. All right, dogs. Yeah, anybody dog lovers? We got some dogs. Or we have some dogs. We've had some dogs. We have one dog. He's hanging on by a thread in our house, to be honest, uh, <laughs> at least from my perspective. Um, but, or she is. Um, but there you go. I don't even know. <laughs> what, what, what dog is this dog? <laughs> You know, but in, their, in this culture, in this culture, dogs, for the most part, were a, were a nuisance, they're a problem, but there were also pets as well. And so the, even the Greek word that Mark uses is an interesting word. Instead of using the word that you normally would for dogs, he uses the word puppies. But even, and some would say like, oh, he's, he's using this puppy phrase, and does that like make it even simpler for this woman to receive? No, that's not really the case. The point is, this is actually a parable. You see, this is a parable, this is a story that Jesus tells She's telling a parable. Now, let's pause on parables. Remember, a parable is a story with kind of this like heavenly meaning. It has a bigger meaning than the story itself. So when Jesus says the children should be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I I think those of you that have pets, you know, this is exactly what I did with my peas when I was younger. My peas would slowly disappear off my plate to the dog. I would be like, here you go. So the dog naturally would come to me in my house, uh, especially in my parents' house growing up. It's like, all right, I'm supposed to be eating these peas. I can't stand peas. And so sure enough, slowly the peas would disappear and they would disappear to the dog. Uh, The dog would be naturally sitting at the children, at least in our house, the children's plate because naturally they might be the messier ones or they're the ones that are sneaking away. They're like, all right, here, just have some food. I don't really like this broccoli or whatever else. And so sure enough, the bread is, crumbs are falling. So it's kind of a picture that we can understand. It's a picture of, of a family at the table, and there's their, their house, their pet, their dog is, is also at the dining room table hanging out on the floor, and it is waiting for the crumbs to fall so it can eat as well. But there's an order to be fed. They're like, and Jesus is saying, it's not right to feed the dogs first. The children should be eating first. Now, what does this parable mean? But before I even say what this parable means, what I want you to see, this is an incredible statement that this woman is going to make in a second. Do the disciples, every time we've looked at the disciples, right, when there's been a parable, what have they needed? They needed Jesus to be like, all right, can you tell us the secrets of what you just said? We don't understand the parable of the soils. Can you explain it to us? So Jesus would explain it to the disciples. He didn't always explain it. He mostly did not explain it to the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. The crowds didn't get the, bet, the deeper meaning because guess what? No one understood his parables. They're like, what? I don't understand. The disciples would be like, now what did you mean by this? And he would explain the parable to him. What we're about to see is this is the only woman who she understands the parable. 
She has insight in the parable. The disciples have not had understanding to parables. The crowds, the people, no one. But yet this Gentile Syrophoenician woman understands what Jesus means. Because notice what she says. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. This is Jesus' response to her. Like, no. It's not right for the dogs to get the bread first. The children get it first. Verse 28, but she answered him, yes, Lord. But notice this statement. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. You might be still saying, like, what does this mean? Before I get to our second point, I want, you to, I want you to see what this means is this. is Jesus, His mission. His mission and even His heart was for the people of Israel. If you go to Abraham, or if you go to Abraham in Genesis 12, in God's call of Abraham, what did He say? He said, I'm going to make of you... I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make of you a great name. I'm going to bless you. And he says this, I'm going to bless all the peoples of the earth. are going to be blessed through you. Meaning, you're going to have a child. I know you don't have one. I know you're old. I know your wife is really old. And you've wanted a child for years, but you've never had a child. I promise you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to bless you with a child. And from your inheritance, from your family, the whole world is going to be blessed. I'm going to make of you a great nation, and I am going to bless you, and I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. This was God's chosen people, and I want you to hear this. Israel was his chosen people. Of all the nations of the world, I mean, think about this. Think how big the earth is. If you've, if you've flown, gotten on a plane and gone somewhere, even if you've driven, the Bible Old Testament and New Testament, thinking of the global aspect of our world happens in a tiny little area in the Middle East. We see the church spreading, and we get to see, as in Acts, we see the church spreading through the Mediterranean Sea and starting to get to Europe, Rome, and those areas. But almost this whole book, thousands of years of history, happened in a small area. And in this small area was God's chosen people. Why were they chosen? The Old Testament tells us. Because they loved God, right? No, that's not why. Because they were great? No. He just chose them. I'm going to bless you, my people. I look on you with compassion, and I'm going to show you. Not because you deserve it. Actually, the opposite. You're the least You're the smallest. In some ways you could say insignificant, but yet he says, I'm going to bless this people. And from this people is going to be someone who's going to bless all people. And in front of this woman is that very person. Jesus is going to come from the tribe and the family and the history all the way back to Abraham. And through the years and through to David and David, through the kingly line of David, and then eventually the son of David was going to be Jesus himself. And this Syrophoenician woman, this outsider, this unclean woman, this Gentile, understands this parable and understands that she doesn't deserve, she doesn't deserve the bread. But what is she doing? I want you to see this. This is the woman's humility. 
So not only are we seeing the woman's unashamed boldness, but also we see the woman's humility. Because notice what she says. How would you, if put that in context today, right? Put that in the context today. Someone said something like this to you. Like, no, I'm not, like Jesus. No, it's not your time yet. No. And, you were to, and they were to say something like this, that he says, the children should be fed first. There's an order here. You need to wait in line. The children are going to get fed first. And then you hear the words like, wait, I'm a dog? <laughs> what is our natural response when someone calls us a name, for instance? It's, it's excuse me? <laughs> you kind of bow up a little bit, potentially, or maybe, depending on your personality, you might retreat and run. I don't know. Um, but you're going to be offended. Notice, what does she say? Yes, Lord. She didn't say, that's not fair, Jesus. This isn't fair. Because she understands what he's saying. She's not confused. She understands. She says, yes, Lord. Like, as in, I understand. But then she uses a word that we don't see anyone calling, calling Jesus. We're not seeing this statement said in the book of Mark. Lord. And she, this, again, Gentile woman, this is why I say, this is why the title of this message is The Remarkable Faith of a Gentile. This is an outsider, and this is an amazing moment of faith by this woman. And so when Jesus says, let the children, and that is the children of Israel to eat first, this is my mission. I have come for the people of Israel. But what do we learn? In John Chapter 1 and verse 11, we know that Jesus, ca- Jesus came to his own, and what happens? His own didn't receive him. We know in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it's an amazing verse to memorize if you haven't memorized it before, but it tells us that the, the gospel, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for what? It is the power of God unto salvation. So what's the rest of the phrase? To the Jew first and also to the Greek. There was an order, and Jesus was coming to the people of Israel first. But here what we get a glimpse of is that there is hope for all people. And this woman says, I hear you, Jesus. I understand what you're saying, that there's an order and that you've come for the people of Israel. The children should be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But verse 28, but she answered him, yes, Lord, yet, I love this phrase, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Like, I'll take the crumbs. Just, just, can you just, just right now, just even a little bit, will you just heal my daughter? Will you rescue her? I understand. Humbly, I understand I don't deserve your grace. It maybe isn't even supposed to be my time yet, but will you please, please? And she's, she's prostrated in front of him, laying down on the ground at his feet, begging and shouting. The disciples maybe are starting to grab her legs or trying to shoo her away. And she's pleading with the Lord, rescue my daughter. Will you free her from this unclean spirit? And Jesus says, remarkable fashion. Children should be eating first. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But yet, she says, in agreement, yes, Lord. But see this confident, I want you to hear it, confident humility. 
This is a confident humility. There's a difference here. She is humble in recognizing, I don't deserve this, but I'm pleading with you to be merciful. Be merciful. Be gracious to me. I get it. I I do not deserve it. I come humbly, but I come boldly. This is what we're called to do in Hebrews chapter 4. To come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. You see, this woman comes humbly asking, I'll even take the crumbs. I don't, I don't need much. Just give me. But the dogs do get the crumbs, and I'll take the crumbs. I'll own it. I am the dog. I don't care. I just want you, and I believe that you can. This is a confident humility. It's a confident faith, but it comes with humility. And see, this is ultimately the problem for most people. It's a problem of pride problem of, I can fix myself. I can deal with my own problems. I don't need anyone's help. Here she's desperate. She knows she needs help. And she goes and she asks for the help and the grace of Jesus. And that's what we see next. Thirdly is this. We see the grace of Jesus extended. We see this woman's incredible faith. Excuse me. We see her unashamed Boldness. I'm coming to the I don't I know I might be unclean. This might be uncouth for a woman to do. I don't care. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm coming to you because I believe that you can heal her. I've heard the words about you, and I believe that you're the Messiah. I believe it, even though she's an outsider. And she humbly responds. She hears what Jesus has to say, but it's like almost like she's a the female version of Jacob in the Old Testament, wrestling with God. Saying, no, no, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep arguing. I'm going to keep going until you bless me. I'm going to stay put. I don't care. I'm going to keep contending with you. And I think that speaks a lot to us. Are we asking and begging the Lord? How is our faith? What are we begging the Lord for? What are we pleading for? Because here's the beautiful thing is we see when here she is, she's begging the Lord. She comes humbly. She comes in a proper respect and a proper view of herself and a proper view of who Jesus is. And she pleads with him. And what we see is the grace of Jesus extended to this Gentile woman. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Sure enough, verse 30 tells us she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This woman experienced the grace of Jesus. It was extended by Jesus. He gives her grace. This is a foretaste of what we see in the book of Acts. This is a foretaste of the Great Commission. Jesus came to his own. His own did not receive him, but he extended the grace of Jesus. to. He extends his grace to all people. His own rejected him. They put him on a cross, nailed him there, all in God's plan and all in his sovereignty. It was not by surprise for him. They put him on a cross. They nailed him there. They beat him. They spit upon him. They nailed, put nails through his feet and his hands, and they mock him, and they say, King of the Jews on, his, on, his, on, his, uh, on the cross behind him. They mock him pierce his side, and they bury him in a tomb. This Jesus came to his own. His own put him on a cross. They buried him, and three days later, later he rose from the grave. 
When he rose, all of a sudden, we start to see the light bulbs come on for the disciples. The light bulbs, oh, this is who Jesus is. Oh, this is who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. And now, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God comes on them, and it rushes them. And now, Peter gets in front in Acts 2, and he proclaims the gospel to repent. He calls the people to repent and believe the gospel. Where does he start? In Jerusalem. Bold faith, declaring the the, the glory of God and the Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you need to put your faith in this one to be saved and to experience life with him, to have relationship with this God that he has made away by paying the price for your sins, as Peter declared. Many received him. And it tells us in Acts 1.8 that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And then there's this statement at the end, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the ends of the earth, to all nations, all peoples, all tribes, all languages, all people can have a relationship with God. And we get a taste of it through this Syrophoenician woman, this outsider, and outside the camp of Israel is a foretaste of the gospel is going to go to all people. And it's for all people. It's not just for the Jews. There was just an order of God's revealing himself. He had revealed himself specifically in the Old Testament to the people of Israel. Yes, could other people have been grafted in? Yes, but what we get to see is in the church, we are grafted into the family, God's family. And we learn, if you read the gospel, I mean, the, the book of Romans, we see how this was playing out in history of the people of God have rejected him, the Israelites, but one day they will again. And there's this season of the Gentiles and the nations and the Greeks and the Jews. All people are coming to faith in Christ. This is a mission that we get to join in. But it all comes from a grace that we need. I use the word extended it also needs to be received. And how is it received? How can we experience this kind of grace like this woman experienced? We experience it because of her faith. She experienced it because of her faith. The hope in the only one. This is this Jesus we were singing about. Only a holy God. Only my holy God. And this woman comes humbly, but boldly, confidently, knowing that Jesus can. But I want to ask this morning, what prevents us from experiencing the relationship of God, the blessing of God? Bernard of Clairvaux said it this way, and I, I so agree with his statement as he says, it is only when humility warrants it that great graces can be obtained. And so when you perceive that you are being humiliated, think about it, this woman might have been feeling like she was being humiliated, being made low, being referred to as a, as a dog. And here he's saying, and so when you perceive that you are being humiliated, look on it as the sign of a sure guarantee that grace is on the way. Just as the heart is puffed up with pride before its destruction, so it is humiliated before being honored. You might be like, well, that doesn't sound fair. Well, have you read Ephesians, I mean, Philippians chapter 2? 
See, it's the upside-down aspect of the gospel. The first will be last. The last will be first. It's the picture of Jesus, the model of humility. He who had, I mean, let's read that actually. Philippians chapter 2. This is the example of humility. Philippians chapter 2, it's a, it's a, a short little letter written by Paul. And in Philippians 2, let, you hear, let hear the words of this encouragement. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Paul is saying, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Notice verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So what's our example and what mindset should we have? Paul continues in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves which, look at this, this is, a, what a gift, this is a gift of grace, which is yours in Christ Jesus. God, you get this kind of mindset in Christ by being in relationship with Christ by faith. What is it? In verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1 tells us. But how did he come? It tells us, did not count equality, being equal, meaning God himself in the flesh, being equal with God, a thing to be grasped, to be like pursued and be, to hold over people like, man, this is something that I'm, I'm great, I am God. But verse 7, he emptied himself. Humbled himself. He lowered himself. He came born of a virgin. He comes and lives among poverty. He lives among people. He takes on human form by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. What does he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The way this reads is like, Here's Jesus, he's high and lofty. Here he's this God, he's great. But we see the condescension of Jesus. He's the downward flow of Jesus. He's humbling himself, he's lowering himself. He's becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But then notice how it goes. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the way up is down. It's humility. The Bible tells us God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. D.L. Moody is reported to say that Jesus sent no one away empty except those who were full of themselves. You see, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride says, I don't need God. Or pride even says that I can fix myself up. Pride says that I'm not that unclean. I'm not that bad. I can clean myself up. Pride is the Pharisees thinking that they could put God in a box and that they could put their, make it a religion and say, here's the, here's the number of laws that I need to keep, and we'll just keep those and we'll be good. 
That is lowering the standard. Jesus said, your heart is far from me. It's wicked and desperately wicked. And it needs grace. It needs forgiveness. And this woman knew that. And she comes humbly. She humbles herself and seeks the only one who can. That's the call of this passage. The passage is telling us that there is gospel and there is grace that is enough for the Jew, the Gentile, the outsider, the person as far as far as you could think about. The person who's the worst person that you've ever known. God's grace is greater than their sin too. And he's great, his grace is greater than yours as well. It's extended, but it needs to be received. And it's only received by faith in this Jesus. Who is this Jesus? We're learning. And in chapter 8, we're going to see the great confession of Jesus his proclamation of who Jesus is. And it's going to be a quick turning point from there as we fly through and get to the last week of Jesus' life. But I want to ask you this morning, will you humble yourself? When you go to God's Word, do you humble yourself before it? When you look, if you're a follower of Jesus, when you go to God's Word, do you humble yourself and say, God, where do I need your grace today? When a spouse or a friend speaks some, tr- some tough love to you, do you respond with like, oh, like this woman could have done? If that woman would have responded to Jesus' statement about the dogs and been like, oh, I can't believe it. He never would have heard about this woman. But instead, she said, yes, Lord. But even the dogs get the crumbs from the children's table. May that be us. Maybe we be saying, I'll just take the crumbs, Lord. I'm unworthy. I'm unfit. I am needy. There's a a hymn that I want us to sing that I haven't quite gotten to yet to teach us. And it's this great hymn about a a sinner, poor and needy, coming to him. Come, ye sinner, poor and needy, wounded and broken by the fall. If you're ready, he is waiting with open arms. Come humbly, but come with a confident humility. Come boldly, but come understanding who you are and your great need. And he's ready to accept you into his arms. This is this Jesus that we see in this book. This is the Jesus that we worship and we celebrate. And this is the same Jesus that also, and this is the challenge for us, is that's what calls us to mission. Jesus says, all people are welcome to the table this great banquet of all the redeemed to celebrate the one who has overcome the grave for us. This Jesus that we're going to celebrate for all of eternity and worship and join him in song and celebration and life forevermore. He invites all people, but what does that mean for us? It means there are people all around us who need this gospel, that need to know who this Jesus is. And there's nation after nation and people group after people group that need to hear this gospel. This is why we care about the lost. This is why we care about having a new church. And even in this community, you say, well, there's a lot of churches, but there's a lot of lost people. There's many people who are far from God, and there's a, a need for grace, and there's a need for, to hear that gospel. May we not be like the disciples and try to shoo another person away, but may we come and say, hey, there's more room at the table. There's always more room. So will we join him in his mission? Will we join him 
we humble ourselves and become obedient? We humble ourselves to see our pride and say, I see areas of weakness when our spouse speaks into something and rather than us get upset and scoff or kind of bow up, but when we humbly respond to the the grace of, of God to allow someone to speak the truth into us, will we respond with humility or will we reject it through our pride? See, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to this Gentile woman because of her great faith in him. May we be marked by this kind of faith. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we can come to you, that you are approachable, that you will not just throw us away, that you not cast us away, but you invite us into relationship with you. As we were singing earlier, you invite us to call you Father, only a holy God. So we want to offer our gratitude, our thanks, our devotion So, Father, will you beat away at that pride in our hearts? May we come and surrender to you what you have to say to us through your word. As we experience your word and as we study these these words and we study this scripture in this book, I pray that you will reveal yourself to us and lead us to know you and to be known by you and experience your grace. May we receive it through faith, a humble heart, a humble heart confidence, and unashamed boldness to go to you, the source of living water. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness to us. We just want to praise you and thank you uh, this morning. We love you and we ask all this in your son's name. Amen.